Do you have one parent with Alzheimer's and the other one, their spouse, just won't accept any help? What are those early and not so early signs of Alzheimer's? And what is it like to wonder if you're gonna get it too? I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today I'm so excited to welcome Jennifer Fink, host of Fading Memories podcast, helping families and caregivers through the Alzheimer's journey. Today, Jen is sharing her story. I'm like, you know what? These two need a little apart. I took it upon myself to do the research to find an adult day program. My dad, he refused to even go talk to them. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. My maternal grandmother would sometimes talk about her mom who had quote unquote senile dementia. She died before I was born. And, you know, that's what they called it back in the day. I remember stories about great grandma putting a Tupperware bowl full of water on the stove to boil. Wow. Sure. That was charming. And my grandmother lived probably an hour away. So that wasn't easy. And and then in 1997, my gra- my maternal grandmother had a brain aneurysm that leaked for three months. Like this woman never got headaches, bless her soul. I get them all the time. <laughs> and, you know, so she just had this debilitating headache that just never went away. And the doctors just kept poo-pooing her, which is infuriating. Wow. And they finally did something. And they, they told my grandfather, she had a 5% chance of surviving the surgery to repair the aneurysm and 0% chance of survival without it. So those aren't really great uh, statistics. What they didn't say was if she survived, then there would be a cognitive issue. And I wonder, not being super familiar with vascular dementia, I wonder if she actually had mixed dementias because she ended up, you know, just like a typical person living with Alzheimer's, non-communicative, combative, like all the stuff that my mom went through, my grandmother went through and from what I have read is they're not that they're similar, but not that similar. So while my grandmother was going downhill, I started noticing signs of my mom. We had a business together. We had a one hour photo lab and a portrait studio together. And she would take orders from clients on Tuesdays with no due dates, no directions, no nothing. And they would come back on Wednesday, mom's day off. And we'd be like, oh, <laughs> Hi, it's not done. I'm sorry. And it's, you know, in the beginning, you know, she was like 52 and a half. It was really easy to dismiss. You know, the phone rang, somebody else came in. You're running a business. We all know if you're running a business or a household, there's lots of distractions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's young, 52. Oh, yeah. Um, you just, yeah, I was, I loved, I loved living through that year of my life because every time I'd forget something, it'd be like, oh my God, oh, is this no. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. It was just, it was really, it was kind of stressful because, you know, it, it, the awareness of the fact that she, she was not ever diagnosed with younger onset Alzheimer's because by the time she allowed herself to be diagnosed, she was 69. But by then it was like mid-stage. So they really should have backed it up and said, yeah, this is younger onset Alzheimer's. So that was, let's see, that was like 95 when we started having that issue. And it wasn't 
common, common. It would just, it would happen often enough to be super irritating, but not often enough to be like, this is very strange. It was just, this is really irritating. And so then my grandmother has her surgery and she has issues. And we're in the early 2000s. Those types of incidents started happening more often. And I got to the point where if I heard my mom just basically jabber jawing with a client, I would go out and insert myself into the conversation so I could find out what they were talking about. And I could slide their order over and be like, oh yeah, what are we doing for Valerie today? You know, it's just like, it just kind of, I was hoping it was subtle. I don't, I don't know, you know, because we weren't talking about memory loss, Alzheimer's, all that the way we do now. And I didn't want to upset my mom because, you know, that's not something we want to do. And I didn't want to have to call the clients and try to find an excuse as to why I didn't know what we were supposed to do. And I had a really good client once call up and just, and I never heard her. I've known, I'd known this woman for a long time. She was so frustrated with my mom. She dropped F-bombs all over me that day because my mom kept saying, oh, I'll take care of X and not, and not doing it. And so this woman was rightfully frustrated. So I finally had to start just taking over and I had to basically supervise without being obvious with mom. And that was really not fun either. One day she, I always, I always showed up to work first. And though I lived 20 miles away, she lived less, well, about a mile. And I would go through all the orders. The employees were really good at getting everything printed, uh, but, and then they'd put them back in the work envelopes. They wouldn't, you know, cut the wallets apart or cut the five by sevens apart. And it drove my mom bananas. And just recently I was thinking about it. I'm like, I think they were hustling through these orders so that they felt reasonably confident they were done right. And then mom could just cut them and not screw shit up basically. (laughs) Wow. So you were coming up with all of these strategies. Was it occurring to you at the time that this is memory loss? I was starting to get worried. So this one particular day I picked up an order and it was like, oh crap. You know, like literally there's like photographs stuck in a work envelope zero. I mean, I'm not even sure the client's phone number was on it. I mean, it was like, pick your poison here. Cause I have no clue what I'm supposed to do. And so as most of us would do, I held the thing up to her and I said, what am I supposed to be doing for so-and-so? And my mom looked at it. She goes, Oh, I don't know. That's such and such employee's handwriting. And I was like, Oh, good Lord. One, my mom had very angular handwriting and the employee had very loopy handwriting and you could run past the two orders and go, yep, hers, that other one's you wouldn't even have to look at them to know they were different. And I was like, Oh, this is bad. Was this hers? Yeah. One of she was was her handwriting, her handwriting that she wasn't recognizing. No. And so I said, you know, I'm starting to get kind of concerned because, you know, you used to have some daffy moments, you know, a couple times a week. Now you're having them like a couple times a day. And she looked at me and she goes, well, I don't want to end up like my mother and literally turned on her heel, stomped off. So yeah, it wasn't real fun. You know, so then we just basically had to like babysitter. I'm amazed none of the employees ever said anything. Not to me, you know, I'm sure it was working for a family business was a load of fun to begin with. (laughs) My dad was diabetic and he'd eat garbage and his blood sugar would go off the rails and and he'd be grumpy. Oh yeah, we were charming. You know, I'm surprised we had employees at all. Um, Well, and it also was still even then not something that people were really talking about. No, especially in the early stages when, you know, like the average person 
would not have suspected. Like her friends, she was in a women's service organization. So she had a meeting every week. You know, she was on committees. She did things. Stuff happens. Like you drop the ball. You know, it's really easy to just assume paperwork got lost, somebody dropped the ball, whatever. So even the average person wouldn't have suspected that she had an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So they retired in 2005. In 2010, she drove to my house and got lost. That wasn't fun. So we gave her my old GPS. She, she was supposed to come to my house for lunch and she called me and she was like, okay, I'm leaving now. I was really grateful. She called me. I said, okay, make sure to turn on the GPS. John programmed it for our house. And she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, should take 45 minutes or less. 45 minutes goes by and I'm like, okay. Hour goes by and I'm like, crap. <laughs> Guess what she didn't do. And about 15 minutes later, she called me completely panic stricken, completely lost and freaking the freak out. I mean, just like, I had like talk her off the ledge. Then I had to get in my car and like, try to find her based on strange directions and listening and talking to her and what can you find the streets? I was just like, so lovely. So then once I get to her, you know, you have like two reactions, you know, Oh, thank God I found you. Life is fine. And now I want to strangle you for not using the GPS. Anybody that's been a parent probably has had a similar feeling with their kids. (laughs) So she's like, she was so upset. She was, she was upset thinking I was upset, which I was, but not, not because she had messed up our afternoon. I mean, although she did, but just the whole situation was just horrible and she wanted to go home. And I was like, oh, absolutely not. And so I made her follow me to my house. And I seriously don't even remember what the hell we did the rest of the day. And I recently asked my husband, like, do you remember this day? And he goes, oh, God, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, do you remember how she got home? And he goes, no, I don't. I'm like, well, one of us must have either driven her home or made her follow us to take her home. And she lived 20 miles away. So like half an hour to get her there and half an hour. I'm like, that is just wild. That's how stressful that was. And I don't know how long after that. She drove to her nail salon and it had been taken over by new owners. So the signage and the decorations on the front of the building or, you know, the windows had changed. So she drove to the nail salon, got there, didn't recognize it, drove home. And so it wasn't long after that when my brother-in-law inherited my mom's car. Wow. So were there conversations at that point? Did your dad ever talk to you about it? No, not really. My dad actually sent a letter to her doctor saying, I have concerns. And he listed them. The doctor ignored the letter twice. You know, it got to the point. So I think it was 2012 or 13 because he had chronic illnesses and he didn't take very good care of himself. And his patience was about paper thin on a good day. I just, it was like, I took it upon myself to do the research to find, you know, an adult day program because he would, she would ask a question, he'd answer. She'd ask the second time. He'd basically snap the answer at her, you know, like, what are we doing for lunch? Rabbit soup. And then she'd be snappy, nasty with him. Like, that's not helpful. And then she'd sulk and it was just awful. So I'm like, you know what? These two need a little more time apart. And I, I'm, and so I told him, I'm like, I've talked to these people. 
you know, this is what they do. I think it would really benefit mom a lot if she was with other people like her. It would benefit you. You could do more of your things without having to worry about her. I would just, I said, even if you just want to stay home and not have to deal with repetitive questions. And he just refused. He refused to even go talk to them. And I was like, well, then I'm out, buddy. Like, I'm trying to help you here. I'm the oldest of two. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So whenever I would go back to my hometown to get my hair cut, I would try to make an appointment with them to have lunch or whatever. And he was a really good buffer because I'd have him to talk to and then she could just kind of interject. But after he died and it was just the two of us, it was like, oh my God, how, no wonder he like basically checked out. <laughs> he was diabetic and he, he needed to go back on dialysis and he was not interested in that, which I totally understand. He just didn't neglect, he neglected to tell any of us that that was his plan. So that was not fun. Wow. So November 29th, 2016, we had been away for my birthday, my 50th birthday. We went to Jamaica. So it was a fun trip. And we came home. I talked to some friends about, we, we were making a couple's trip to our first spring training. Thank God we planned that before I talked to my dad on the phone. So I talked to my dad made arrangements to go see him and mom that Tuesday. We were going to be in town for hair appointments, my daughter and I, and my husband was coming over. We were going to put up Christmas decorations for mom because my dad just didn't have the energy. My husband walked in the door and my dad said, hi, how's the credit union business treating you? My husband was like, oh God, I haven't been in the credit union business in 13 years. What the hell is going on? And so I'm like getting text messages come now. And I'm like, I can't, come in the middle of a haircut. You know, I'm sorry, <laughs> not feasible. So I show up and he's, he's just lethargic and just, I had no idea what was going on. If I had known what was going on, if he had been forthright with me, would have called hospice. But no, he spent 38 days in the hospital. Wow. Why do you think he didn't want to accept any help? I'm not sure. I just, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of it was generational. He felt it was his responsibility. You know, didn't want to be a burden to you girls. Lord almighty. You guys were anyway. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know. I know. We actually, yeah, we do hear that a lot with, you find that a lot with couples covering for the other spouse and you just kind of wonder, yeah, is it maybe generational or pride or, you know, I, all kinds of I denial. Was, I mean, there's lots of reasons. Yeah, I think it was all of that. And I was just, yeah. I was so flabbergasted, you know, it was like, Here's a good solution for both of you. This isn't just for mom or just for you. This is for both of you. I was so frustrated with him that it was just like, well, I'm not going to waste any more of my time. You know, I'd spend as much time with him as I could. And I tried to do things with her not being with them regularly. Like one day they, their, their doctors were literally down the hill from my house, like a mile away. So they'd come and have lunch with me and mess up my day because <laughs> they'd all they'd either show up early or they'd show up late or my dad would be all flustered and flabbergasted and just irritating. And like one time he told me, he goes, and this is always a conversation you want to have with your dad, right? I was doing something, I was putting up Halloween decorations and he's like, your mom needs new bras, take her bra shopping. <laughs> What needs to be prepared for that thing <laughs> for that conversation? I feel like this, I feel like this is probably something a lot of our listeners that are family caregivers can relate to right now. <laughs> you know? And he wasn't wrong. And so I said, okay, 
you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to like spring this on her because, you know, mm, <laughs> that wasn't going to go over too well. So I needed, I don't know, another strand of lights or something. So I'm like, let's, I'm like, come with me to Target. Okay. And so while we were there, you know, I, it was really super easy to pass the women's clothing and lingerie. And so I said, you know, dad really wanted you to get some new underwear. I'm like, I can't even do that. (laughs) Wasn't prepared mentally for this today. And she's like, well, I don't know why he said that. And it was in that snotty ass tone of voice. And I'm like, I don't know, but you know what? You're always telling me he's cheapskate. So why don't we just do this? Well, he gave you money. Yes. Whip out his debit card. See, he gave me his debit card. You know, and just, and we went round and round and round and we never, we got back and he's like, well, were you successful? I was like, no. Oh my gosh. And it was just, it's like, that was the kind of insanity. I'm like, if you had called and talked to me, I might've been able to form into plan. And I thought I did pretty good considering he sprung it on me. Like it was insane. So that that's the kind of stuff I dealt with. And, um, and maybe he was just so frustrated because he was like, he, you know, I'm sure he didn't want to take her bra shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So walk us through what happened when your dad passed away and now your mom is there at their home alone. Did you move her somewhere else? So my mom and her dog went to my sister's house and then to my house. And then she would be at her house with her sister, who is 11 years younger, who took care of their mom. So we had planned for my, and my sister and I do not get along. We do not have a relationship. We agree on nothing. We'd managed to agree that we would ask our aunt to move in with mom and we would hire a caregiver to be there either during the day or at night. My mom was pretty good sleeping at night all the way to the end. So during the day, because it was not going to be auntie's responsibility to care for mom, we kind of felt it was a decision that would help both of them. And so one day I'm like, okay, well, auntie is 11 years younger than mom. If mom dies first, which, you know, like, I don't know why that wouldn't be the case. Then it's going to take a couple of years for auntie to get back on public housing, which means She will be living in my parents' house, which was paid for, but, you know, there's still property taxes in the landscaper and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, would she be okay with like maybe moving in a couple of other older women? You know, it was a four bedroom house. So I figured if my aunt had the master bedroom and then, you know, they kind of co-shared the living room, family room and the kitchen. Like, I think that might work, but my aunt also has some health issues. She's an on again, off again, alcoholic. And I was just like, I'm not really sure this is a good idea. So I started looking around for memory care and the one that was down the hill from my house, I knew it didn't have the best reputation. So I didn't even bother. And I ended up at one that was about 15 minutes away (laughs) and you help people find senior housing. So you're going to love this. Yeah. What what was that process like for you? (laughs) Oh, let's see. I liked the place. I liked the people. I didn't see anything terribly upsetting, even though, you know, memory care can be a little challenging mentally. And then I, I made the comment, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with mom's dog. And they said, well, you know, we, we could probably keep mom's dog with her. And I'm like, here's money. <laughs> how much, how much, how much deposit do you, let's see. Did I check with state licensing? No. Did I look at Google? No. Did I ask anybody else what they thought of the place? No. I just handed them money. 
<laughs> oh no. Oh no. Where but is thankfully, this? Yeah. Where is this story oh, going? <laughs> thankfully, you know, and I just recorded, I've got one coming out in next month, May. I recorded an episode on how to use mindfulness to deal with frustrations. And we were talking about the head, the heart, and the gut. And he was basically saying that my brain, my heart, my gut all knew it was the right decision. And he kind of talks about why he thought that, but yeah, thankfully it was a really good decision. Yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned that because you also have a podcast. It's mm-hmm. called Fading Memories, and it is there to help family caregivers, regular caregivers that are you know dealing with this. So we're going to make sure that we get all of that in show notes. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, and it's funny because I was on another podcast where we were discussing when and how to choose a care home. And the conversation was, it was, there was multiple people and I'm like, I'm fine to be on the show. As long as you understand that I'm like the poster child for probably not how not to do it, you know, cause going by gut instinct is not always bad, but it's not necessarily the best way. I had a great relationship with the executive director. And I mean, it just, there was zero red flags. The day we moved mom in was a little harder. There was a gentleman, he was probably six, three and he was walking around in pajamas, which, okay. You know, normal people do that too, but he had a stuffed animal stuffed down the back of his pants. And when the side door opened so we could bring in her furniture I'm not kidding. This is going to sound horrible, but it was like, he was like a zombie that saw the light and he literally headed towards the door and nobody else in the building was as tall as him. So it was like, you know, they had to kind of gently carouse him into a different direction. It was just, you know, and then there was some other lady doing something. I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this to my poor mother? (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, I think a lot of families feel like that. You mentioned that earlier, that moving into memory care is really tough because you become faced with either where your loved one is right now or where they are going (laughs) and where they potentially could be. So what was that actual move-in day like for your mom? How did she respond? Pretty horrible. I don't know anybody. I've never talked to anybody who's had a a positive move to memory care story. Anybody's got them, let us know, please. I'd love to hear them. (laughs) Mom spent the day my husband and a caregiver because, you know, my husband and I are self-employed. So it's not like I could just take days off to do stuff. And my sister and I set up her room as close to her room and the house. I mean, they lived in their house just under 47 years. We tried to decorate it like her bedroom. And then down the hallway, there was lots of family pictures. So we put those up on the wall and we had used the excuse that there was repairs that needed to be done on their house. And the day before we moved her in, I picked her up to take her to my house. And she said she was leaning on the kitchen counter, gazing off into the backyard, which was beautiful. And, and she says, well, you're not, you're not selling my house. I'm like, oh, no, 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 we're not selling your house, mom, which was true. And she whips her head over and looks at me and she goes, and you're not renting it out either. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell? I was, it was so, so difficult. So we, my sister and I set up her room. My husband brought her over and, you know, we just kept telling her it's temporary because temporary is subjective, right? Sounds nicer. Sounds better. She wasn't going to live there forever because she wasn't going to live forever. That was kind of my, how I rationalized that lie in my head. And she clutched the dog and she cried and she begged not to be left there. Why are you doing this to me? And then she finally basically turned her back on us and was like, not talking to you guys. 
she'd missed dinner. So we escorted her to the dining room to eat. And they were like, please leave. <laughs> Go away. We will deal with her. And it literally was about six weeks of I would show up. I would show up after lunch. I would knock on her door. She'd open the door and wail and cry as if she was being rescued from jail, cabin in the woods. I mean, she just didn't remember that people were coming. I mean, my sister went, I went, my sister brought my niece. You know, it wasn't like we abandoned her, but that's what she felt. And then one day I showed up, she's walking down the hall behind this other resident. And this was one of my, I, I laughed about this all the time because there was a whole bunch of residents that always needed to use the phone. Where's the yellow pages? I need the phone book. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm old enough to remember phone books, but like, I can't remember when I, I gave those up for Google, but it's been a, you know, a decade or more. <laughs> it was just, it was just funny, but she was following this resident down the hall. She spied me and she goes, oh, oh, come with me. I have to help my friend. And when she said friend, it took every last bit of strength not to burst into tears. You would have thought somebody said, here's a bag of diamonds and you won the jumbo lotto. You know, it was like, I'm not sure that would have been a better feeling. And from that day on, that was where she lived. She was happy as a lark. It was, it was like the switch flip. It was so strange. And the executive director was like, I told you, told you she'd acclimate. You didn't believe me. And I'm like, no, I did not. <laughs> not really. <laughs> And then there was a middle school across the street. So it was similar, not that she ever really saw it, but it was similar to the house I grew up in where she lived for almost 47 years. So I could refer to the school across the street, but she had like zero memory of this house we grew up in. It was weird, but, but good because then I never had to doubt, deal with the, I, you know, I want to go home. That's so common. I was waiting for it. I had answers on how to handle it. <laughs> You were prepared. <laughs> I learned from Tipa and other yes, people. Yes, Tipa Snow, absolutely. Yeah, we'll put put yep. her in show notes so, too. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, totally. Gosh, I you know that is so tough for families to go through that process of separation, and you know, in that six week process, it's it's like hell sometimes. <laughs> you know? It was it was so bad. There was one afternoon, I showed up. I had my daughter and my paternal grandmother. My mom wailed and screamed so hard. I don't think my grandmother and I know my daughter never went back. And I didn't harass my daughter, or pressure her. I would make comments like, I don't want you to regret that you didn't spend time with your grandmother before she died. And she just, they were so close. And she just, that just broke my daughter. But she'd spend time with my mom at my house or, you know, other places. It was not like she like abandoned her grandmother, but yeah, it was that bad. You know, I, when I talk about it, I think, God, how did I manage to keep going back out this time? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like we're like, we, you just kind of do the thing, like you just have to do the thing and then you just get through it. Yep. And it just, and you know, and I learned really quickly watching other families because people who haven't been to a memory care residence, you know, like all their toiletries are locked up, which is really frustrating when you need, you need to get something and you have to go find the director with the key. And they got to come over. I even asked one time, like, can you just give me a copy of the key for mom's vanity locks? Because this is really annoying. And they couldn't do that, which was also annoying. But some people were so demanding. I'm like, this staff is not here for you. They're here to take care of your loved one. And you're acting like ass. And then you're going to leave. And your loved one is still here. Like, no, 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 no. 
I mean, I, I must have been like the most observant learner because I watched these people. I watched the reactions of the staff and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am the captain of mom's care team and these people are on the team and we will be they will be treated like the team. And that's how we dealt with it for three years. And it was really hard when mom died because she died right at the beginning of the pandemic. She broke her leg on March 8th. I saw her the 8th, the 12th, the 14th, and the 16th. The 12th, she went back to memory care. I walked in the doors as normal. So this was March 12th, 2020. On the 14th, there was a sign on the door that said I had to go around through the main entrance of the assisted living. I had to fill out something that basically said, no, I don't think I have COVID. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell we're doing, but whatever. Fill out the paperwork. And then two days later, the gal that was always telling me what mama needed, she had told me, and this is why I always treated them like the team because my mom was going to end up wheelchair bound because we couldn't fix the leg. She's like, your mom's going to need like dresses. And can you bring her like house coats and, and other nightgowns and stuff? So I had gone shopping, but it was so overwhelming to have to buy my mom different things because physically now she was different. So I just bought really soft um, night shirts, slippers, and I had to go through the main entrance, fill out the same paperwork, have my temperature scanned. And then the next day it was like, place is closed. Can't come in. I didn't see her the last two weeks of her life, but I did see her the day before she passed away. I will never really understand if they just not really sure how they decided that that was okay. And I really hope the fact that the day she died, 10 of us ended up outside her room didn't, didn't prevent other families from having that ability. But yeah, it was, it was tough. And then I, I went back in May to clean out her room. And then I went back before Halloween to deliver handmade cards and treats to the residents. And it was like a whole different place because of COVID and mom wasn't there. And now the executive director I was close with is gone. The memory care director is gone. It's like, okay. <laughs> not the same place. So, you know, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yes. I, I love what you said about the staff is on the team. I mean, I think it is hard for families in general. We very much compare it to leaving your child at, at daycare, right? Because this is a vulnerable adult when they have memory loss. And, and so I do think that it is hard for some families to let go and, and let the staff you know, provide that care. Well, that is interesting because I've dealt with people that are, they have very exacting desires for caregivers on how they, like how this caregiver will interact with their loved one. And sometimes I wonder, did I like let things slide? I shouldn't have let slide. Like the day that my mom, we were leaving, she was wearing her clothes, but she had blouses that were too big that I couldn't pry out of her hands. And her top slipped off of her shoulder. And I look over and I'm like, <laughs> wonder whose black sports bra that is. But she was clean. She was dressed appropriately. I'm like, I am not wrestling that woman out of a sports bra. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, you know, and there was times uh, she had no butt. So I don't never understood why she had a pair of pull on pants that had a drawstring. Drawstring was mostly decorative. She did need it a little bit because, as I said, she basically. She basically was straight up and down like olive oil from Popeye, really dating myself now. Um, but she would have them mount backwards. I'm like, mm. I don't understand, but she's comfortable. So, okay. You're like, do I really want to like make a fuss over reversing her pants? And then sometimes she'd have her shoes on the wrong feet. And I never understood how she walked like that. So did I let too much slide? 
the other thing that you talked about was that you went with your gut and your head and right, everything felt it was right. But that is actually what we recommend to families because the truth is, you know, like for us that do help families, we've never lived in any of these buildings. So yeah, you can do your due diligence, like you were saying, and ask friends or, you know, look up reports and things like that. But in the end, you, they're like, you're, they're an extension of your family. So you really do have to feel okay. And you have to sort of feel in your gut that you're making the right decision. And, and you're right, choosing your battles, some of those little things, because you just don't even know with some folks, she could have taken them off herself and put them back on. You know, I mean, you just, that's true. You know, you just never know. So it is hard though. It is really hard. I just, I tried, tried to focus on the most important things is that she was well cared for. She was safe. You know, she was happy, you know, as much as one can be with advanced Alzheimer's. A lot of the other stuff was just, it was fluff, like whatever. <laughs> it frustrated me. The pants were on backwards, but it didn't frustrate mom. So <laughs> exactly. So, well, Jen, with everything that you have been through and really all of your experience with your podcast and helping other families, what would be just the number one doable tip that you would have for families? Early on, I did a podcast episode with a family that I swear they need to be the blueprint for all of us, but they, they went, they formed what they called their care committee. I tell people you're going to need help or, you know, early on, it's easy to make adaptations. I know because I did them, but you don't want to end up like my dad. Loved ones don't want help. They don't want to admit they need help. They don't want a stranger in their house helping them. Lots of legitimate reasons for feeling the way they do, but all of them you have to ignore. And that's very difficult. Managing a home to live in and just managing day-to-day life, that takes, that's a lot of work. I tell people, make a list of all your responsibilities that you have to do every day. Make a list of the stuff that's got to get done every week and every month. Then make a second list of everybody you know. It doesn't have to be family and they don't have to be all local. And write down what you think they're, like best skill is. And I use the example of, I will be more than happy to make you some meals, throw in a crock pot, bring you over a casserole to warm up, bring you baked goods, how much baked goods you want. I love to bake. Do not ask me to call the doctor or the insurance company or the bank. So when somebody says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. Is there anything I could do to help? Boom. You got an answer. You have an answer that's not going to overwhelm them or scare them off. So if you put a team in place super early on, you know, you might think this is dumb. I don't need all these people right now, but you will. And unfortunately with, you know, Alzheimer's or other dementias, sometimes stuff changes on a dime. Today's episode is brought to you by Fading Memories Podcast. Host Jennifer Fink helps families and caregivers who find themselves struggling through an Alzheimer's journey with her own family experience and years of hosting her show. Find more information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable.